Well, good Saturday morning, everybody. I am sports mental health empowerment coach and couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Y'all know who this clown is. Yeah, I mean, he a clown today because I'm telling y'all right now, he about to clown me the whole show. He's already let it be known. He done already told our guests that he's about to take all these here ignorant cheap shops and be disrespectful for the next 60 minutes. So anyway you figure you figure you get you figure you get yours you get yours in once you open the show okay i see i see how you i see how you did that good morning everybody my name is ronnie ransom uh former collegiate athlete current uh mental health therapist welcome back everybody um as dr pitt said we have a a wonderful wonderful guest with us this morning miss justice stafford we're going to introduce her in a few minutes because um she's going to be with us talking about a lot of great things today uh, we have a great topic lined up for everybody today called cognitive distortions, and we'll get into that in a few and what, and what that looks like and, you know, why are we talking about that with our student athletes and professional athletes? What, what are cognitive distortions and why do they need to know about it? So before we get into that, how's everybody doing this morning? Everybody enjoying their Saturday morning? It's championship weekend for college football. Texas, y'all. I mean, y'all, y'all, I mean, it's okay to be a little, once again, you, you decided to bring that weather from New Jersey all the way down to Texas. You made that choice. So I think local Texans need to talk to you about that. Don't blame and stuff. See, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm two things can be true. You know, when you can you remember what happened when you came down there the first time, right? Y'all had an ice storm ice. that y'all ain't had in a hundred years. Right. That's so my fault. That's my fault. He about to have them run me out of here, Justice. He about to have them run me up out of here. People mm-hmm. be knocking on the door. Ding dong. Ring him a bell. Talking about, um, excuse me, we had heard the show, and this, this is your fault. Get up out of here, man. The next the next HOA meeting going to be real interesting. You know, they'll be like, uh, so, um, Dr. Pitts, uh, we heard some things about you. We just didn't see on your application when you moved down. We just want to review this with you real quick. You got to but, go. But no, so we got a great topic lined up to you all today. We got a lot of things going on in the football world and the sports world that we're going to get get to and whatnot. Um, So before we hop into all of that, Dr. Pitts, do you want to go ahead and start with our mental health tip of the week and everything? I do. I'll make it short, sweet, and to the point. Um, You know, when you think about cognitive cognitive distortions, I think that it's important for people to understand that a big part of why they might be dealing with them, and we're gonna get going to really in-depth discussion about this, is I think that it's really important for people to look at their thought processes historically, right? How did, you don't come out the womb with distorted thinking. It's learned, it's developed, mm-hmm. it's, it, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a way of life. And it's just like anything else that we talk about. You have to be able to put your finger on the pulse of the root of why you're engaging in this distorted thinking. And a big part of that may be the pain of your past that's informing how you act and how you express yourself based upon things that are going on in real time today. I'm going to get more into that because I didn't realize this, you two. But as I was looking um, at my treatment planner for cognitive distortions, Mm -hmm. I did not realize that type A personality is a part of DSM descriptors Mm -hmm. as far as actual, um, the the, uh, 
the, the codes, right, that we put in mm. for insurance payments and stuff. And it's this whole category, and I'm going to get into it because there's a lot of space in that discussion around type A personality sort of as a disorder per se that will give greater understanding as to why people mm. engage in distorted thinking. So my mm. tip is I want people to take the time and we're going to tell you how to do that today. I want people to be very deliberate and intentional in understanding the root cause of why they engage in distorted thinking. Because as we've said time and time again on the show, you cannot confront something that you're unwilling to acknowledge. You have mm -hmm. to be able to put your finger on the pulse of where it's coming from and why it's happening in order for you to be able to properly confront it so that you can ultimately conquer it. That's all I have, Ronnie. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Thank you for uh, adding mm -hmm. that and sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really have necessarily a mental health tip of the week, but um, mm -hmm. something I saw that was interesting this week um, so I guess they, I guess Google started this last year or within the last couple of years or something where they have like the most searched topic and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I saw at the bottom of the list, they had a word of the year and the word of the year was gaslighting and, mm -hmm. you know, being in the mental health field and everything, you know, I hear the word gaslighting, you know, quite often. To, uh, and you do it to, to me all the time. Good. Are you sure about that? Yes. Positive. <laughs> I would gaslight you. Yes. Yes. At now least our, listen, our listeners know if there's one thing I'm not going to do is gaslight somebody as intelligent, bright, smart, just a trendsetter, such as yourself. How do you make a B for BS? <laughs> How do you do that? How do you make, how do you do that with your fingers? <laughs> but um, so, you know, I, when I saw that and everything, that gaslighting was the word of the year, you know, um, I, I hear it, off, you know, often used by a lot of people. And it is really, it's relatively a word that is new to our, you know, vernacular within the last few years as a society and everything. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't necessarily know what gaslighting means, Gaslighting is another way of saying that somebody is manipulating you into doubting your own perceptions, experiences, or understanding of events, right? So, you know, well, what does that look like and how does that affect a lot of people? You know, when you are, you know, trying to bring issue to somebody and, you know, they are, you know, you know, asking you questions, you know, make you second guess or even think for a second, like, dang, am I, am I tripping? You know, do I have this wrong? Things like that, you know, and oftentimes, you know, I think, as a society, you know, when we, when we find a new trend and we find a new word to really cling on to, like with anything, we can really misuse it and stuff like that. And I think a lot of times what I notice is, is that people will say the word gaslighting when they're being held accountable. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think there's a fine line between gaslighting and being held accountable. You know, if you want to be lazy, you know, really, you know, procrastinate, whatever the case may be, you might find yourself accusing people of gaslighting you or saying that, you know, you're just being mean and manipulative to me because of your own insecurities and your own inability to move yourself in a way that you can do these things for yourself, you know? So 
Um, I just wanted to bring that to awareness to people is, you know, like, you know, gaslighting is a real thing. And unfortunately, that does happen to people. You know, we, mm-hmm. we even see where some people, you know, mm-hmm. gaslighting can lead to things such as Stockholm syndrome and things like that, mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. you know, you you get so ingrained and so conditioned in the gaslighting that you mm-hmm. believe that you're, you know, quote unquote, oppressor or a person that, you know, trying to hold you down or keep you from progressing forward. You don't mm-hmm. really see that as an issue anymore. You just kind of, you know, adopt this idea that, well, this is normal. This is what I know. So you don't really see the issue in it. But for those who, you know, feel like they're being gaslighted, there are ways to communicate those concerns and issues with somebody who you feel like mm-hmm. is gaslighting you. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Dr. Piss was mentioning, you know, type A personalities or even people with, you know, personality disorders such as um, narcissism or borderline mm-hmm. or um, um, uh, uh, DID, things like that, you know, where, you know, people are prone to evade accountability to save themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you find yourself in a situation like that, if you find yourself experiencing something like that, look, there are ways that, you know, have those conversations with those uh, with those people that don't involve you having, you know, arguments, yelling, shouting or, you know, making a situation worse than what it has to be. Or if you find yourself in a situation where that isn't possible, you know, taking the steps to remove yourself from that situation so you no longer continue to be triggered or be upset Mm -hmm. by that person to make you feel like you're being gaslighted. Those might be steps you need to take as well, too. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that, um, you know, for those of you, you know, who, who, who might have been, you know, experienced gaslighting, or even if you feel at times you yourself, you know, um, gaslight, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes, you know, when we don't understand a a situation right then and there, sometimes we might make the impulsive decision to gaslight and we don't recognize it in that moment. But the thing about self-accountability is being able to take a step back and process, you know, our actions and behaviors you know, when we have that moment and really try to, you know, make better choices and make better decisions. So I just wanted to share that for my uh, mental health tip of the uh, week and whatnot. Um, well, let Ms. me say this real okay. quick, Ronnie. Just so for the listening and viewing audience, I was joking. He really doesn't guess like me. We just poke each other's bear. Like, the like the, like yes. the, like the wise, like the wise poet Young Jeezy once said, was understood ain't got to be explained. Man, come on here. Go ahead, man. Come on here. Go ahead. We got, look, now we got to take, we got to take it five minutes past what we said we was going to take it because we had 11 10. Well, no, so I mean, so one thing I, you know, definitely wanted to, you know, bring up real quick was so, you know, last week, you know, I kind of touched on it and whatnot, but, um, you know, so two weeks ago, this photo of Jerry Jones came out on Twitter. This journalist, photographer, whatever the case be, for whatever reason, was sifting through photos 65 years ago because people have that type of time in their life, but hey, kudos to you, you know, mm-hmm. I need that type of freedom in my life, but that's not here, mm-hmm. neither, neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody was in an uproar, you know, because Jerry Jones was posted in this photo as a 14 year old kid um, standing outside of, I can't remember the name of the high school, but it's where the Little Rock Nine took place. And for those who don't um, know, have never heard of the Little Rock Nine, um, I'm just gonna give a quick summary of it. The Little Rock Nine is the first nine African-American students in Little Rock, Arkansas to attend this high school post, uh, post-desegregation. Um, for those who don't, you know, might not be aware for our younger listeners, yes, there was a point in time in our human existence not too long ago where, you know, Black people and white people could not share the same schools you know, for reasons that, you know, a lot of us will probably never, ever fathom outside of just pure hatred and judgment and, you know, vindictiveness. But nonetheless, so these brave, you know, boys and girls were the first nine students to enter in this high school post-desegregation. 
obviously, you know, the uh, white people back then were not very happy about that. You know, not all of them, let me say not all of them, but there were uh, uh, quite a few who were not happy about this decision. And they made their, they made their voices heard right outside of the school as these kids were coming in. Just so happens that a young 14 year old Jerry Jones happened to be captured in one of these photographs. Now, mind you, this is 65 years ago. A lot of people think that's a long time ago, but how many people do you know, whether it's in your family or personally, know over the age of 65? Mm. I know quite a few. So mm -hmm. it's not that, not that long ago. So, you know, somebody in some interview or something asked him about this photo and he confirmed that, yes, that is me in the photo. And his quick justification of it was, is I was a 14 year old kid who was curious as to about what was going on. He kind of left it at that. <laughs> so, you know, everybody was in an uproar about it and saying, you know, well, nah, we just can't let that slide. Like, you know, we've seen over the years and as a, especially within the last five or six years with, you know, the whole Colin Kaepernick situation and the protests of the national anthem and all that, Jerry Jones had, you know, let out some very, you know, stern opinions about, you know, what he felt about, you know, people respecting the national anthem flag, so on and so forth, despite also blatantly ignoring, you know, the not so good history of our national anthem, American flag, so on and so forth, you know, for what they like to consider tradition, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's been two weeks. And, you know, there's been a few rumblings and stuff like that, but it really hasn't, you know, gained, you know, attention, attention. This past mm -hmm. week, LeBron comes out after his game and, you know, <laughs> made a very valid point. You know, just three weeks ago, everybody was berating Kyrie Irving for his tweeting about a, a film that happened to be on Amazon Prime. And he tweeted just about the movie, said you should check it out. Didn't, do, you know, didn't tweet no opinions about it, didn't tweet, you know, anything that was saying, oh, well, this is true and whatnot, just tweeted about it. And the entire world berated him and basically, you know, made him fold into making apologies and making certain promises and stuff like that, you know, over a tweet, you know, granted. Now, Jerry Jones didn't ask for this photo to come out. He didn't ask for this photo to be taken regardless of all of that. But it's out there. He's in it. We know about it. LeBron James asked a question, you know, why aren't y'all asking me about this? Why aren't we talking about this? You know, so I shared last week and I'll share it again. You know, hey, I believe two things can be true. I believe somebody at the age of 14 does not have to have the same mindset at the age of 79. If they did, the whole separate conversation needs to be had there. However, I do believe people, you know, mindsets can change. I also believe that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And we know a lot of people in power, especially a lot of Caucasian people in power, they have a lot of beliefs, they have a lot of morals and principles and values that do not align with necessarily diverse cultures, diverse societies, diverse mindsets, ideologies, the whole nine yards. We know this to be true. So, you know, while I'm not mad that he's in the photo, hey, I won't even hear 65 years ago. So, you know, who am I to sit there and say, hey, bro, why are you in the photo? However, what I have seen and what I have noticed, you know, just in my short 29 years is that this gentleman has certain beliefs, morals and values that might not always line up with diversity. If it doesn't make dollars to him, it probably is not going to make any sense to him.
Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, when you're a billionaire, when you're a multi-billionaire, you're probably not going to listen to a lot of opinions of others. But how long do we allow this to continue to go forward? You know, hey, you know, once again, it's kind of, we see this with Bill Cosby. We see this with a lot of people who are held accountable for, you know, tragedies and crimes that were committed 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we hold them to the umpteenth, you know, letter of the law. Once again, he should not be prosecuted, thrown in jail for simply being in a photo. However, there is a track history of his actions, behaviors, and quotes that he has said along the last 65 years that would lead somebody to believe that, you know what? Maybe he don't have our best interests at heart if we're not making him no money. And if that's the case, stand on that. Don't hide behind it and be, you know, covert, covertly oppressive. Be an overt. That's all I'm gonna say about it. You want me to speak? It's gonna, it's gonna take me more than four minutes, I'm sure. We we can go. I mean, so, if, if, if I'm, I'm a, I, have a, I took I took my notes. I'm a bullet point. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it what it is. And Justice, if you want to chime in, please feel free to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, you can go first if you want to. You know, I think for me, the there's a term that I was looking into: democratic sanity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys, you know, which is basically the majority rule of, so the socio, I guess, the majority rule of people's behaviors within a culture, if those are all seen seemingly together, Mm -hmm. then that is what's seen as sane and normal behavior. Mm -hmm. Social contract theories, it sounds like what you're describing. You know, Mm -hmm. and so when we talk about diversity, that our culture's are not seen as normal or same behavior. Even when we're looking at, you know, people from who are Caucasian, when they do things, they are the majority. So they're not held to the same standard Mm -hmm. as people who are diverse and of different cultures and oftentimes refuse to question their behaviors because a lot of them follow the same precedents and have the same beliefs so they have created what their sanity looks like and us on the outside if we are not conscious of that we're constantly holding up well why is Kyrie why is everybody else getting treated differently we do not hold the democratic sanctity mm-hmm. and that's where I'm like I I, I can't hold them to the same judge because I don't believe that it would be, he would be held accountable in where we live in the place, you know, in America. So, yeah. Well, well thank you for sharing that, uh, Justice. We, I, re- I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, Dr. Pitts, what, what you got for us? What, what, what bullet points do you got? How many, so, how many bullets you got in your clip today? Uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Oh, that you sounds can like a pull. That's fully loaded. You can conceal yeah. carry that. That's only yeah. eight rounds. You yeah. can go and conceal yeah. carry that. So, um, and I said this to you both before the show started. You know, one of the things that anybody that genuinely and sincerely knows Lauren Denise Pitts um, knows that I am consistent. I have been consistent literally my entire life, and I am not hard to figure out. 
Um, I don't have a problem being controversial. I don't have a problem standing by whatever I believe or feel. I don't disrespect others for their belief systems. I ask that people respect my views, whether they agree with them or not, because that is humane, right? Mm -hmm. um, with that, one of the things that came up for me when Ronnie sent me the picture is, I have no idea what Jerry Jones looked like at the age of 14. So my first question mark was to your point, when somebody was going through files, that seems to me like somebody was looking for something because who the heck knows what, who know, if you don't know me, do, do you know what I look like at 14? Are you looking for me? You, you know what I'm saying? So that was my first thing. It's like, okay, that's fine. Okay. They found a picture. He was at the school. Little Rock. He wasn't doing anything. He was 14 standing in a crowd. And that was a tumultuous time. There was a lot of other people in the photo. What was on his mind, what he was thinking, feeling, or doing, whatever the case may be, who knows? Um, it reminded me of a speaking engagement that I did in a very racist part of Georgia many years ago. And one of the things that I said to the audience that I was speaking to about something you know, along these lines is, I'm always moved by people who are, are very judgmental and critical and, and just always have something to say about other stuff, you know, other people's stuff. And I can't help but to wonder, what would people see? What would people hear if they put a, a, a camera or uh, a microphone in our head, in our heart, in our home? I, for one, because I'm transparent, because that's how I get down, Things that I've thought and said and did at the age of 14, at the age of 24, hell, at the age of 55, I don't, I can honestly say that I would not be proud of how I verbalized some things if they were put out in the forefront of, of for the whole world to see. If my conversations, my private thoughts, my intimate feelings that are fueled by a whole bunch of different contexts was put up on a billboard of I-95 or you know Highway 40 or whatever the case may be, ugh, would I would I want to do that? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and I get it as a public figure, you know, he's out there, we all are. But I, I like to caution people to be very, very careful about how judgmental and critical they are of people and their shortcomings and ailments in life, because as it was said to me one time, there but the grace of God go I. It stuff can change like that. And then the society that we live in, I found it very interesting. And my husband and I were discussing how this picture came out and everybody's waiting for Jerry Jones to make the statement. I ain't defend, and I, I got to stop cussing, so I'm not gonna cuss on there. I'm gonna lead that to Ronnie. I am not going to justify something that I did at 14. If you want to know what I did at 14, read my darn autobiography. It's out there. The queen within becoming the woman God intended. Because I had some mess with me. I had some mess. And I tell people before they read it, don't judge me or criticize me. I was 14. I was 15. I find it very interesting that the media is doing what the media does. You know what? Interview the players. Interview Michael Irvin. Interview Emmett Smith. Interview Roger Staubach. Interview some of the greatest players that have graced the NFL Hall of Fame to see what their opinion is of Jerry Jones as a man, not just as the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, but as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a son.
There's 13 NFL teams that have never had a black head coach. I don't know if any of those owners have been found in pictures of, you know, with racist undertones or not. Is anybody looking for them? Or are they, were they looking for something to bring out against Jerry Jones? You know, they had the illegitimate child and all this other stuff. As clinicians, we're taught to not look at who is wrong, but what is wrong. And we know in this country, there is a history of systemic racism, whether he or anybody else acknowledges it or not. It is what it is. And I, because I am okay being controversial, I have always said, I would rather somebody be straight up and tell me, you know what? I, you know, I don't like black people because then I know how to deal with you. But here, this is the type of female I am. Just because you look me in my face and tell me that you don't like black people doesn't mean that I won't fool with you. It's just like dealing with an intimate partner that's screwing everything moving. Don't make the assumption because you out here doing you that I'm not going to still deal with you. Because guess what? I might have an agenda too. And the players that have played on the Dallas Cowboys since Jerry Jones took ownership, you know what? They had an agenda too. They're feeding their families. Whether he's racist or not, I don't give a rat's behind. It doesn't matter to me. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I love the sport. I choose to root for the Dallas Cowboys, as I will continue to do. Whether he is or is not racism, racist, I don't care. And I know that sounds real effed up to some people, but I really don't. You know why? Because there's a whole lot of people that I have in my life that I'm sure that are Caucasian, that I'm sure, I know, as sure as my name is Lauren Denise Pitts, that how they talk to me face to face is not necessarily how they feel about Black people behind closed doors. But at the end of the day, there are things that we're getting accomplished. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because this is the society that we live in. So you mean to tell me LeBron James is a billionaire, right? And I like LeBron. He all that sort of rebating back chips. He's a billionaire. He's got all these endorsements from all of these Caucasian organizations, the whole nine yards. Let's just say hypothetically, it came out that everybody that he has an endorsement with was racist. He giving all that money back? Stop playing with me. Let's not, let's not have these conversations. Let's talk about the real issues at hand and what are we gonna do to resolve those instead of this nitpicky petty stuff? Because at the end of the day, folk gonna do what they need to do to feed their family. And you know what they gonna do? They gonna call white folks crackers and all everything else that they call them just like they call us niggas and everything else behind the scene. And they gonna keep cashing them checks and they are gonna keep feeding their families. Mm -hmm. Stop playing with me. Now let's move on and talk about cognitive distortions. Because guess what? Lauren and Eric are going to the Cowboys Colts game tomorrow. And I'm sitting that far from the what? And I'm hoping the JT, though he's from Salem. I'm hoping he don't have a breakout game against my who? My Dallas Cowboys. Moving right along. Let's keep it matching. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even get in the group because I had some points on him too. And Kanye and R. Kelly and everybody else that got all these issues that folks will support. End the discussion. That's my stance on it. Please invite Speaking of cognitive distortions and what a way to transition, you know what, you know, when we speak about cognitive distortions, you know, one of my favorite ones to talk about is mm. one of my favorite ones is, and I always ask, you know, specific fans this question, um, you know, because inquiring minds just want to know, you know, Dr. Pitts, somebody mm -hmm. as successful, mm -hmm. groundbreaking, mm -hmm. trailblazing iconic all them all them things all the adjectives all of them mm -hmm. how do you support such mediocrity 
you, when you are when you are nothing, there is no mediocrity in your life. Mm-hmm. How do you support such mediocrity? Can I answer that? Can I answer I, that? Please, the people you know why I support know. mediocrity for the same reason that no, no, no. I'm being dead serious, and I, and I and I honestly, because it just me and you, I believe you'll respect what I'm about to say. The reason why I can respect mediocrity is because I'm loyal to the core of my soul. So whether it's the Salem Rams, which was my high school blue and white team that back in the day, oh Lord, there were times that we was doing the darn things and there was times like, oh God, we gonna sit out in the cold. We know they are gonna lose, <laughs> but it's okay. You know why? Because I'm loyal. So win, lose or draw, whether it's the Dallas Cowboys, my marriage, my parenting, my private practice, anything in life, I'm not a quitter. I don't quit on people. I and Just like you all as athletes, you as athletes, and you talked about it. It was one of your, one of, I don't remember if it was when you were at Virginia State or when you were in high school. You don't just quit playing for a losing team. Well, I don't care whether they're losing one year or 20. If you're, it's more than that. It's more, mm-hmm. yes, you, everybody wants a championship. Everybody does. But if you can't grind it through and out when it ain't rocking and rolling, why are you here? You only here just to win? Where's the teaming in that? You, I don't know a single solitary athlete amongst my family, my friends, or my clients that says, you know what, Dr. Pitts, I, I don't want my family and friends to come out and root for me because we're on a, a losing team. I don't mm-hmm. want my, you, you, what was it? It was the, the Browns, like two, three seasons ago, the Detroit Lions, for example. Mm-hmm. They have sucked, but that stadium is full every single solitary game. Why? Because of loyalty. It doesn't make a difference whether it's distorted thinking or not. Y'all know you're not going to win. You know what? But we're going to go out and act like we are going to win. Because mm-hmm. eventually, we might get that win. Eventually. Eventually. And that's what, that's the, the camaraderie, that's the hype that makes it such a compelling sport, whether it's football, basketball, or whatever the case may be, is that we're not going to tell our kids, oh, well, because you keep losing, you give up. No, mm-hmm. you're going you gonna to keep at it until you win. So yeah, regardless of whether we won in 16 or eight and three or 10 and one or whatever the Eagles record is, we're going to come out every single solitary week and we're going to play like we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to play like we're going to the NBA championship. We're going to play like we're going to the World Series. We're going to play like we're going to the World Cup. We're going to play like we're going to win the gold. Because eventually, one day, whether it's next year or 40 years from now, a win is a win. Mm-hmm. I got pissed off. And just me, NFC East, Dallas Cowboys or die. I cried because I feel I'm an empath. I feel everything. I cried at how disrespectful people were when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017. They earned that. Mm-hmm. They earned that. They beat Tom Brady and the Patriots with their backup quarterback and a lot of third string players. And people gave them no credit at all. Can, 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 I, can I interject on that? Go right Fair. Because people they, would they, say they was the underdog. They, they got all these see, cognitive sources. There's no way they're going to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. Hey, but they did. Hey, 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 they did. Hey, and nobody gave them credit. 
except their own fans. They did. They did. What? See and see. Once see. Two things can be true here. Yes, they did earn that Super Bowl. They 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 did beat the Patriots and they beat them soundly too. I know the score was a lot closer than what they. That's Philly special is the truth. Everybody knows it. Two things can be true though. Just like the Cowboys fans are the most delusional. Eagles fans can be the most fair weather fans out of all fan bases. I promise you, this entire this season alone, when they hit eight and zero, I've never seen this many Eagles fans. I've seen more Eagles jerseys at a grocery store in the last two months than I've seen this Super Bowl year. I swear to God, every year the Eagles have a good season. These fans come out the woodworks. Fly Eagles, fly. Every we team, no problem. There's bandwagon for every sport oh. all the time. What? That's hey, all look, the time. That is true. There let's are a lot of bandwagon let's fans. Steelers get their second win and, and go back to, to rocking and rolling and, and winning all these races. Hey, like, hey look, we in a rebuilding year. All right, look, Co- hey, look, Co- Coach Tomlin, Coach Tomlin was due for a bad year. He had 15 amazing, he never, he, he had 15 years, no losing season. He was due a bad year eventually, you know. But, but, big, folk, big, but that stadium's full every week. I mean, hey, you know, look, we you can't be on top forever. Even the Patriots dynasty ended after 20 years. You know, hey, it happens. But it's it loyalty. Happens. It's loyalty. And people go always bandwagons up. <clears throat> Man, two things can be true. Two things can be true. Well, Ooh. enough of uh, me and Dr. Pitts uh, going Banter. back and forth. <laughs> um, we, didn't get, we didn't get a chance to properly. Oh, I was I was getting you know, ready to let her talk. I was okay. gonna say because we didn't properly get a chance to introduce her the right way. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have Ms. Justice Stafford here with us this morning. Welcome for being with us this morning. Um, Good morning. So, uh, after you after you say what you were gonna say, let the people know a little bit about yourself. You know where you're from, how you got to be where you are today, and what you're doing today. Absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Queens, New York. Um, I got my master's in social work, so currently a social worker, but I moved to California to obtain my doctorate in clinical psychology as well as um, sports psychology. And so here we are, and I'm so glad you guys found me and I get to be here today. Um, What I was going to say was, I think it it sounds a little unfair, Mr. Ransom, because it seems like it's hope and not cognitive distortions mm. with the fandom. Hope. Mm. Oh, okay, that's a that's a really. I love that reframe. Yes, that's a really that's a really that's a that's a really that's a really good redirection there. I'm a I'm I'm gonna leave the Cowboys alone today. I'm gonna leave them alone. He ain't gonna um, never leave us alone. He needs to I'm stop. Leave. I'm calling from the game tomorrow to. Like tell like, Jerry, tell Jerry, fix that Wi-Fi. Because last time you called me, it was frozen. So at least he can do is fixing Wi-Fi for y'all. That's all I'm saying. That was your phone. It, it probably was the whole time though, because my service out here in the country is some trash. I'm not even going to lie to you about that. But so, Justice, yes. we appreciate you joining us on this conversation. Mm-hmm, and you know, we we when we think about cognitive distortions, another way I like to say it is basically a contradiction. You know, mm-hmm. you say one thing but you believe another thing. You do one thing, mm-hmm. but this is what you were trying to, you know, sometimes, you know, another, you know, a lot of times when we say cognitive distortions, you know, people will be like, well, why are you trying to, you know, what's that all that mean? Right, I mean, right. not talking about, but just, you just contradicting yourself. You sound real contradicting. Two, mm-hmm. two plus two does not equal four in this situation. Mm-hmm. Let's figure it out. 
you know, so why is it important for, you know, student athletes to understand cognitive distortions? You know, let me give an example of a very common cognitive distortion I see amongst a lot of student athletes, especially our younger ones. And the catalyst to this has been social media. You know, mm-hmm. if I could describe social media, I would describe it as a, a big con- cognitive distortion within itself anyways. Yeah. We, know that, we know that social media oftentimes is nothing more than our subconscious playing out on a broad platform for the world mm-hmm. to see. 99% of the people on social media only talk about the good about themselves. They only talk about the good things they're doing. They only show the good things they're doing. Very rarely do people just put all of their authenticity on social media. Are there people like that? Yeah. But for the masses, for the for you know, for the majority of society, most people just show what they want people to see. And oftentimes that is them in a more positive light, good light. Mm-hmm. So when we look at how, you know, social media influences our student athletes, professional athletes, you know, so on and so forth, what are some of the common things I see on social media all the time? One of the most common things I always see is student athletes, well, high school student athletes love posting, you know, their offers and stuff like that on social media. Hey, you know, I was blessed to receive this offer from such and such. Hey, I was blessed to receive this offer from such and such. Not, not trying to pick on nobody, but let me bring up a, a really fine example of a cognitive distortion here. We know that for the most part, student athletes have a very fine understanding of what it takes to get a, a, a collegiate scholarship to play a sport at the next level. Mm-hmm. Majority of them have an understanding of that. I don't know if either one of you saw just a week and a half ago was a white kid from, um, I don't know, I think he was from Florida, but his four-star recruit had um, committed to Florida, was on social media rapping a song. One of the lyrics was the N-word. He rapped right on through it. Somehow the University of Florida found out, pulled a scholarship. You know, so now once again, I'm pretty sure, oh, I was just rapping a song. Oh, I didn't think it was no harm. Once again, when you are led to, you know, do attention seeking behaviors on a social media platform, you have to understand the consequences by the content you put out. A lot of times these student athletes don't understand that the content they put out has consequences, has ramifications and can alter their future. One of the things I always tell student athletes not to do is to post all your business on social media. Because the moment you post it out there, you can't get it back. It's no different than when somebody fires a gun. The moment you pull that trigger, you can't snatch the bullet back. It's gone. It's out there. You have to live with the consequences, good or bad. And a lot of times I see, you know, we're impressionable. We like to, you know, social media has made it easier for us to compare ourselves to the masses. And when we feel like we're not doing enough, when we feel like we don't have enough attention or notoriety, we, we tend to lean towards doing attention-seeking things. You know, can social media be a great catalyst and tool for student athletes to be seen and be heard and get us a chance to get a scholarship and play at the next level? Absolutely. But far too many times do I see student athletes misusing social media, you know, only posting, you know, a couple highlights here, but not posting the whole game film, always posting that they're in the gym instead of just working out. How you in the gym posting you in the gym and you ain't got no sweat on your on your shirt. Hands ain't got chalk on them. Ain't no weights around you. Just you in a mirror. Okay, I can walk to a gym, post myself in front of a mirror and then go back home and post it on social media and make it look like I'm doing something. Don't act like you're doing it. Do it. And when it doesn't happen, and a lot of times I see this too, is, you know, because uh, student athletes will post on social media and they post the good things and stuff like that, when it doesn't happen for them and they're sitting around looking why, 
well, were you really doing the work that you were posting on social media? Just because you're posting it, just because you're advertising it does not mean you're really doing it. So I just want, that's how I was going to start off the conversation. Dr. Pitts, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to, to clarify something and, and I'm going to I'll sort of lead in with this narrative and then pass off to, to Justice. Um, so when we're talking about distorted thinking, it's important for you know our, our audience to know we're we're just talking about thinking irrationally, right? Mm -hmm. And and what that looks like in an athletic context is there's what research shows us is that there's four general irrational beliefs that may interfere with athletes reaching their potential. The four beliefs are. I must do well in sport. And if I don't, I'm incompetent, worthless as a person. I must do well to gain the love and approval of others. And if I don't, I'm horrible. Everyone must treat me with respect and fairness all the time. And the conditions of my life must be arranged so that I get what I want easily and quickly. And Ronnie, you touched on that a little bit last week with the birds, right? That these assumptions come. These general beliefs can contribute to emotional distress for athletes and contribute to the pressure already present in achievement situations. So when you factor in the distorted thinking, the distorted thinking styles interfere with performance by providing the athlete with faulty information about the competitive environment, resulting in misdirected attention, emotional distress, such as excessive anxiety and lowered self-concept. So when we think about, well, what are these irrational ways of thinking? Because they're, they're categories, right? So we have perfectionism, we have catastrophizing, we have this understanding or belief that self-worth depends upon achievement, personalization, fallacy of fairness, polarized thinking, and one-child generalizations. And we're gonna talk about each of those, well, some of them, uh, um, a little bit because it's really, really, really important to understand that this distorted thinking, it's its something that we all experience, but it's on a whole nother level in the athletic arena. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you for sharing those four points as well. Um, we talked about it, we've talked about it on numerous shows before, and I've even shared a little bit of my, you know, personal story of how, you know, you know, getting good at football, finding out that I was actually halfway decent in football really helped bolster, you know, my self-confidence, my self-esteem and how I viewed myself. And, you know, one of the things that I had to struggle with after, you know, my athletic career was understanding that, you know, those, even though at the time they felt like positive things about myself, you know, I, I you know, I view, I valued myself based off my athletic career. You know, the better my athletic career got, the more I felt about myself, the higher I saw myself and things like that. In the moment when I was taken from me, in the moment I could no longer do that, all of those attributes and all of those thoughts about myself went out the window as well. And, you know, and to your point, we also have a lot of athletes who, you know, they don't even get to make it that far. You know, sometimes they don't make it out of little league football. They don't even make it out of JV football. They don't make it out of high school football. You know, and to your point, a lot of times we kind of, you know, it, it's kind of an insensitive thing to call it, but we hear it all the time. You know, we'll call them hometown legends and stuff like that. The ones who, you know, they were, you know, really athletic or, you know, they had a couple good years, but because they didn't have, you know, authentic support, they didn't have authentic people in their lives really helping them put those pieces together. One of the things I think, you know, as people, you know, we talk about in sports, you know, you have scouts, you have people who go out and look at athletes, look at talent and stuff like that, you know, kind of, you know, see, do they have it, do they don't? 
I think one of the times when we look at just people as a whole is that, you know, we oftentimes overlook their potential. And when we don't put those resources or tools around them, we let them fall through the cracks. And they're left to think, to your point, they're left to think that they're either not worthy enough or they're not incompetent enough to have success because I can't even play football. I can't even throw a football the right way. I can't even run the right way. So how the hell am I going to do life? You know, so I think those are really great points and, and some really, you know, a lot of things that a lot of us athletes do think about from time to time. I guess I can chime in, you guys. Absolutely. I think that, you know, um, I, I hear a lot about um, mental fillers and all, all polarized thinking, all of nothing thinking. I think one of the key things too is because athletes are expected to perform up to such vigorous expectations. No one's really focusing on sense of self. Who are you outside of your performance? Mm -hmm. And I've been working with this, um, without currently working with a college team of soccer players, and they experience a lot of this. And I, with them, I like to use unhelpful thinking, right? Because it doesn't get you what you want. And so using that term, you know, it's like, how is this unhelpful for your goals, achieving your goals, right? And I think that we have to take a step to reminding people who they are, right? Um, like you said, I can't even throw a football, right? I can't even do this correctly. Who are you outside of your performance? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're not able to transfer all of those great skills we have athletically to just real life. And so when no one is focusing on that, you just see yourself as an athlete and not as a man who plays sports in college, you know, uh, your culture. So for me, it's how are we allowing people to see themselves in these environments because then they also just blame themselves, which is also unhelpful thinking, right? Just thinking right. it's you or only noticing your failures and just what you're doing and not thinking that your external environment is also, you know, make, I guess, your external environment is also, you know, creating these thoughts. So right. it's not only just you. So for me, it's, how are you seeing self? How are you working on your identity outside of just your performance? Right. And you made a great point too about, you know, those, we, we talked about this a while ago, the transferable skills that we have as athletes that transfer over to the real world. And I think one of the things that we, you know, psych ourselves out is, is that we, we develop all these skills, these attributes, these tools and resources to be the best athletes we can be. And, you know, I don't know how we get to this, this point in our mindset, but we get to a point where we don't think those skills transfer over. One of the things I always tell people, you know, like if you've ever like, you know, been to a football game or been close enough to the sidelines to really, you know, hear the coaches, you know, interact with the players and whatnot, you know, a, a playbook for a football team, offensive defense is not, you know, simple in any, any side of the imagination. Let me just give you a rundown of some of the things that you have to take account for just before you snap the ball. As an offensive lineman, when I walk to the ball, I'm looking at the first thing I'm looking at is the defense. Are they in a four-man front or in a three-man front? Because if they're in a four-man front, 
I know there's only gonna be if we're running to the right side of the line. I know if they have a four-man front, there's two double teams on that side and only one person available to get to two linebackers on the on the strong side. If it's a three-man front, then we possibly have only we need one uh, double team and we can have two people to go up to the next level and get players. Now, once we get to the line, and let's say for example they have a one shade and a three shade over here, and then they have a weak side defensive end on this side, but then the whole D line shifts. So now that one shade is on this side of me, and now the three shade is right here. Well, now the entire blocking scheme changes just right then and there because of that simple shift. But you have to be able to communicate that shift within a matter of seconds before the ball is snapped. Those are a lot of things to go through the process before play. No different than you're the manager of a store. If you're the manager of a store, the first thing you do when you get to work is you do damage control. What's been going on? Anything bad? You know, what can I do? After you do that, okay, who's here? Who's working the shift? Who's not here? Do we need more help? X, Y, and Z. Then inventory. How much inventory do we have coming in? Where are we you know, lacking inventory? What do we need to order? X, Y, and Z. Then you have payroll. Who's getting paid? Who's working overtime? Who's not working overtime? Who do we need to call in and stuff like that? X, Y, and Z. All of these things to think through before you even you know, have your first hour of your shift. A lot of those skills, being able to think quickly on your feet, being able to adjust to adversity, being able to have an audible, have a plan B, plan C, plan D sometimes, all those skills that we learn as athletes direct, directly translate to the real world. But sometimes we will psych ourselves out of thinking that I can't use these type of skills. I can't use this skill set in the real world. I think something else that, you know, is a trait specific to, you know, linemen, offensive and defensive linemen that really translates out to the real world is this idea of being rewarded for doing right. I always tell people, you know, when you play offensive line, when you do right, nobody talks about you. And that's how you know you're doing good because nobody brings your name up. You when your name is brought up, you've probably messed up. That's the only time your name gets brought up. I always tell people you can have you can block somebody 68 times the right way. And on that 69th block, you give up a sack. Now everybody's yelling at you because you messed up. So how do we what do we see that in the real world? You can do everything right the right way. The one time you do it wrong, the whole world can attack you for that very same thing. So what does that teach you? It teaches you to have a have a short memory because you're not going to be perfect every single time. You will be bound to make a mistake. You will mess up. You'll take the wrong step somewhere. You might not make the right decision. You might not, you might not work with your teammate or your colleague or coworker at the right time. And you make a mistake, but that's okay. You have another play. You have another chance. You have another work shift. You have another homework assignment. There's always another chance for you to do, be to do better and correct your wrong. But a lot of times we see if people, when they do wrong, not only do they do wrong and are told about it, but they also double down on it and sabotage themselves in the process with self-defeating talk, self-defeating behaviors, isolation, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times as athletes, we don't give ourselves enough credit and praise for some of the skills, the communication skills we learn as athletes, some of the de-escalation skills, some of the anger management skills we learn as athletes. We don't give ourselves enough credit for being able to translate those into the real world. And we sit there and think like, man, how am I going to do this? How am I, I going to survive? The same way you did as an athlete, the same way you did from them summer workouts, the same way you did with them off-season workouts, the same way when your team was down 21-0 in the third quarter. You, mm -hmm. you just continue one step after another, play after play, drive after drive, series after series, game after game, continue to put your best foot forward. And that's all you can ask of your team. Oops, sorry. You, no, I think you make some great points there. What came up for me is you've mentioned 
we don't give ourselves enough credits. And I'm thinking we say that as athletes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I, I've learned to take a step back because our athletes taught how to give themselves credit. And so when you said, you know, you were talking about reading the play, mm -hmm. you had to practice that. Who, Absolutely. When I meet with my athletes, I'm saying, who you say you love yourself. How do you know that? Who mm -hmm. taught you? Yes, your mom tells you she loves you and all of these things, but who who taught you? Is does your coach teach you how to say how to be resilient? Does your coach teach you how to come back after a win, or are they focused on the performance as well? So I think that we have to be able to equip our athletes with, you know, how am I being resilient when these unhelpful thoughts come up? How do I take step away from my performance, which is what we always focus on? and go back to self. Like, how do I transfer those, uh, you know, the transferables? How do I use that? How do I transfer that to the outside world? How do I, my characteristics, you ask somebody what they're bad at, they'll tell you 10 things. You ask them what's good about them. And it's like pulling teeth. And so I think that we have to teach that as well, but look at sports. The environment of sports is not teaching you how to be emotionally regulated, right? How to be positive thinking. It's very, very intense. And I think most of the times, you know, it's not really focused on um, in a bigger level that allows our athletes to be able to combat these thoughts when, you know, there's no win, when they lose, when, you know, you get injured. So um, that's my take on that. Justice, I, I want to piggyback on that because what you're talking about is the our ability to implement these cognitive restructuring interventions, right? And when you have these conversations with your athletes, I'm, I'm just curious how when you when you elevate their awareness around the things that you and Ronnie both just said, how do they respond to that? Do they do they get it? Do they think you know what? Miss Stafford, you're crazy, <laughs> or, or do do they conceptually do they be like you know what? Never thought about that. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, recent experience, when I highlighted for them, they didn't think about it. They say, you know, I didn't look at it that way, but they automatically go back to that unhelpful thinking where it's like, wow, I'm dumb and I should be doing that. And I say, well, whoa, we're doing it again. How can you hold yourself to a standard that you weren't taught? Where's the grace? You're not giving yourself that grace. So I kind of give them that space and kind of pour into them where it's like, it's okay to not know something, but the fact that you're coming here and we're in this space working on it is amazing. And so I think that giving them that empathy and that space to like, it's okay that I didn't know this, but I'm an athlete and I'm disciplined and I work on everything ex extremely hard. I'm going to get this, but I think it's teaching athletes grace. And how do we do that? Do we make space for that? And I think, you know, outside of, I think, you know, teaching grace, it's almost like sometimes as athletes, we adopt this mentality of our expectation has to be perfection. You know, you, you hear it all the time amongst coaches and even in practice, you know, you run the play perfect, you'll be perfect. And, you know, one of the things you quickly learn in the midst of a game is nothing ever just goes perfect. Like I've never, I've, in 14 years of playing football, I never had one game where everything just went right. I kid, I, I tell people this all the time. I kid you not. My junior year at state, we were playing um, Kentucky State, third game of the season. 
we were one and one. We had just came off a loss to Benedict and Kentucky State was two and zero. Oh. And, you know, we thought we were going to have ourselves in a, 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 a you know, a, a really tough game. Ended up, we ended up beating them 42 nothing. Now, in the midst of beating them 42 nothing, we had 15 penalties in the game on our, we had, we had created 15 penalties. Three of those penalties, our coach guy, I kid you not, blew them out. As far as like the game goes, we executed everything as almost as perfectly as you possibly could minus the penalties even with the 15 penalties was no issue whatsoever the very next day we ran 42 200 meter sprints because of the 15 penalties you would have thought we lost 42 nothing the way our coach talked to us and one of the things he mentioned is you know yes you played you played good and you won but these 15 mistakes that we made, and he said we because he was three of those mistakes, the 15 mistakes we made could have had us losing 42 to nothing as easily as we were winning 42 to nothing. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because I think, you know, majority of athletes, yes, especially when you reach the college level, a lot of us have this idea of wanting to go to the professional levels. That, that's a dream we've had as children. The closer you get and the more business-like it gets, I do feel like, once again, you know, athletes do put an insurmountable amount of pressure on themselves to be the best athlete they can. You throw in academics, being the best academic they can be, being a social life, being the most outgoing, notarized person as possible. There's a lot of things that we feel like we have to perfect. And oftentimes when you feel like you have, it takes time to perfect things. Oftentimes we're not allotted a lot of times to do those things. And what happens is when you find an athlete who struggles with managing their emotions, managing that anxiety, that pressure, that stress, and things like that, you start to sacrifice things in order to do this. What is, what's one of the first things we see student athletes sometimes sacrifice? Their academics. When practice starts to build up, when you feel like you got to do X, Y, and Z for practice, do extra practice, get rehab, get treatment, just to be able to get back on the field, there's only so much time you have to do that, but it's important to you. Well, so is school. But which one do I want more? I, you know, I like school and everything, but I'm trying to go to the league. Like, damn, school, I'm trying to go to the league. Like, so in your mind, you start to justify what's really important in that moment. Yes, can sports be important in that moment? Absolutely. But what do we know to be true? Your education, your mind, your knowledge will always take you further than any football, basketball, soccer ball, anything can take you intellectually. Now, monetarily, Hey, professional sports can take you a long way if you play long enough. Not going to knock that. But for 99% of the population, they don't get to realize that. So then you have to be left with reality. If this will not be my reality, how do I shape my reality to be something that I can be enjoy, enjoy and be happy with? Mm -hmm. You both said something really key. And I think that it, it really speaks to the interventions that we need to implement for these athletes in our efforts clinically to support them. And first and foremost, doing exactly justice what you said is helping them to identify the cognitive distortions. That's the first step. What we, and we say it all the time as clinicians, right? You cannot, you cannot conquer something or confront something that you don't even acknowledge. So I love what you're doing out there in Cali because you're you're helping these soccer players to realize that and, and what we say in in um substance abuse treatment, right? That's thinking thinking. That, that's thinking thinking that's that's getting them 
pulled off their center is the first step to us clinically being able to help them to get out of the way. Well, well, how do we do that? How do we help them to identify? First, doing exactly what you said, just like challenging it, right? Gently and lovingly, right? Bringing it to their attention that, yeah, who taught you that this was right? You know, and, and how can you hold yourself accountable for something that you've never learned? Supporting them as they learn how to describe the pattern of what we call pressured and driven thinking that's catapulting them into this distorted thinking in the first place. Helping them to really, and, and I want to connect it to the mental health tip that I made, helping them to make this this contrast and, and comparison to how their past ways of thinking, because we know they didn't just get to college and start thinking like this. This is something that, you know, did parents and coaches and trainers and fans instill this in them when they were playing in little league sports, right? Helping them to understand the origin of pressured lifestyle around sports. Because Ronnie, you've said it a thousand times, just because you were a former athlete too. You, you all experienced this pressure as little kids, as little, little kids and helping our athletes to associate this distorted thinking now with the situations, the cognition, the emotion, the actions, and the impact that this trajectory has had on why the distorted thinking is present. What did what are your thoughts? What are either of your thoughts on that? I'll let Justice go first. You know, I was in hearing you speak about that. It made me think like everyone's in it, right? And I like to say, just because we're bringing it up doesn't mean we're talking bad about your parents. Doesn't mean we're talking bad about your coach or your teammates or yourself, but you guys are all in this. And I like to take a step. I'm the person where it's like, you know, I might not watch the game. I might not watch things because I want to have a different view, right? And I don't want to be focused on your performance, but my hope is that if I can model it for you and be kind and empathetic to you, then you can learn that for yourself. Because, you know, sometimes all of those people, parents, coaches, yourself, and your teammates as well, are in it with you, and they might not be able to give it to you. And that might be unconsciously, you know, it's not a negative thing, but it does still negatively impact the athlete. So my goal is, or my hope is that me just giving that to them can model it for them. So maybe they can have it plant the seed for them one day. I wholeheartedly agree with both of you. I don't think I could have said anything what y'all both said any better. Um, so I agree with both of you all said. I think, you know, when we've always talked about, you know, this idea of having a village and having, you know, the best mm -hmm. people around you. But also, once again, mm -hmm. you know, I, one of my biggest things I tell people is when you turn 18, you become the author and illustrator of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. whether or not at 18, you have the necessary tools and resources to traverse mm -hmm. being an adult. It is your responsibility as an adult to equip those things with you on your path and on your journey through life. Because if you don't, you can continue to point. I always tell people, when you stick your hand out and point one finger at somebody, there's three pointing back at you. Mm -hmm. so even your own body subconsciously is telling you like, hey, even though you're blaming this person, they might be wrong for something. Mm -hmm. You might be wrong too. And you need to address that as well. So yeah, I, I agree with uh, what both of you all said. And I want to piggyback on what you both said in response to what I said, because 
you know, we, we say each and every single show how important it is for our athletes and coaches and trainers and everybody that's a part of this athletic system that, that each of them can benefit from working with someone like each of us, right? And for those that do, great. My hope is that what we as clinicians are doing is helping our athletes to identify the beliefs, the belief systems that are, are promoting the, this distorted thinking that supports the driven overachieving behavior that sort of hangs in the lurch behind these cognitive distortions, right? And for those that don't you know, go to, to see somebody like us, I think that it's really important for them to understand that one of the things that we're gonna do, but they can do it apart from us is you gotta probe your history. You have mm -hmm. to understand mm -hmm. with great clarity why you act and express yourself the way that you do. What is going on in your family history that is, and, and Justice, you said it, right? The role modeling. Who has role modeled for you this distorted thinking? You, it didn't just show up one day. It was learned. It was developed. It was nurtured. And it's grounded in this pressure for high achievement that's almost compulsive sometimes. And that compulsive drive to be perfect, to be the, 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 the savior of the family that goes to the league is what leads to people finding themselves in this distorted thinking. Um, I'm gonna let you both comment on that. And then I'm gonna, I, I wanna touch on a couple of more things before we transition to Ronnie doing the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah go ahead, go ahead, Jesse, take it away. Last thing. The same way some of these athletes have been playing since they were three years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we get to the point where you're not, you're 22 when we start looking at this, these cognitive distortions, or you're 19 when these cognitive distortions start to really bother you. Uh, the same way that you've been practicing your athleticism since you were three, give your, remind yourself that you have to practice at th this mental work just as much. So right. give yourself that space because again, they go right into, well, I should be here. I should know this. Give yourself that space. The same way you were practicing since you were three. Now you're starting to practice now. Absolutely. And I think, you know, once again, just like as athletes, you know, when we think about our physical body and our physical fitness, you know, we work out, we exercise, we, we uh, diet the right way. Our brain is also a muscle, you know, that too is a muscle. And there are things that we have to do in order to work in and exercise it and condition it into the way that we need to think. And, I, and I'll say this last thing as far as cognitive distortions go. You know, one of the things I always tell anybody that, you know, I, I do for outpatient therapy, regardless of what their presenting problems are. One of the first things I try to do is establish an understanding of our, how our mind works. One of the first things I always say is, and, and I said this last week, you know, we oftentimes hear so many people say, you know, well, I wish I could just, you know, turn my brain off or stop feeling or not have feelings or not have, you know, bad thoughts and everything. Once again, and I'll say this again, the goal is to not control our thoughts and emotions. We can't do that. We cannot do that. Our brain, yes, it is a muscle that we can work out and exercise in, in condition to minimize and maybe reduce the occurrence of negative thoughts and negative feelings. However, those 
quote unquote bad thoughts, bad feelings that we ha sometimes have, I tell everybody all the time, the one control you do have over them is to not act on them. Just because you have the thought, just because you have the feeling does not mean you have to act on it. And so one of the things that you can exercise your brain to do is exercise that discernment and that judgment of, do I act on this feeling that's being triggered by this thought or do I just let it go? Do I need time to myself? Is that 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever the case may be? Do I need a self-care activity to kind of help with this? Whatever that looks like for you, use that discernment and use that power. Don't just sit there and say, oh, I just don't wanna have these thoughts and feelings anymore. No, learn to understand them, recognize them and use them if you need to. And that's all I have for cognitive distortions. Oh, go ahead, Justice. Re reacting versus responding. That's yeah. what I got from what you said, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, um, a couple of uh, uh, key things to sort of tie up in this pretty pre-Christmas bow, um, what both of you all said. When you touch on, um, you both touched on identity and how there's this separation that doesn't happen the way that it should, that, that fuels distorted thinking because the athlete sees their worth as everything con connected to their play, right? And what that looks like. What about if we encourage our athletes to actually make a list of their belief systems about their worth within the context of their athletic performance, but also encouraging them to go one step further and to identify their beliefs beyond their athletic performance, because you both made that point directly and indirectly, right? Helping them to see that it's almost like the separation of church and state, right? You, you have your athletic self, and you have your non-athletic self, and you need to be able to reconcile both of those in a way that helps you to understand and get a handle on how you're thinking. I was working with one of my athletes in session a couple of days ago, and one of the things that she said is, to your point, Justice, she said, Dr. Fitz, my entire sense of self was tied to track. I don't know who I am outside of running. I feel so lost. So when I, I, this is what she and I are working on now. It's like helping her to identify her belief systems and her value systems just as a human being, just as a human being. And then within the context of her athletic performance so that she can reconcile those and understand that you can be both. You don't have to give up self to perform athletically. You can be both and really helping them to understand that the two can coexist harmoniously. You don't have to lose yourself because you're not playing anymore. And then the second thing is really helping our athletes to make the connections between that overachieve, and this one's huge, 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 huge. You both have said it making connection between their overachieving and driven behavior and looking at it through the lens of, is it driven by the, de the desire to please? Are they still looking for mommy and daddy's acceptance and validation? 
are they still looking is it is their athletic performance all that they're able to validate their existence by and if that's the case that's a major catalyst to distorted thinking because they only feel worthwhile if they're performing at this elevated level of achievement and we need to be able to help them to reconcile all of those things so they can be much more effective in addressing this irrational thinking and be able to substitute it for rational thinking and practice it more and more and more every day. Love that. Thank you, Dr. Fitz, for sharing that. I love I love how you wrap that up. So as we get ready to wrap up and everything, like Dr. Pitts um, mentioned at the uh, beginning of the show, so for all of those who have been following us this season, um, know that we <laughs> had tried to do something a little different this year. We tried to do a um, sport, uh, fo well, football picks, you know, for each of the HBCU games uh, this season. Um, we were able to make it through eight weeks of the season, and then um, Dr. Pitts was off of one show, and then I think the final week there was only, I, did, I don't even think there was a full 10 HBCU games the final week for us to even um, vote on and whatnot. So, you know, through eight weeks we had the tally, and um, I actually, um, I had the tally added through seven weeks, Dr. Pitts, I added um, tally through eight weeks. So the final tally was, is that I um, became victorious um, after eight weeks. I had a total of 46 correct picks. Dr. Pitts, you had a, a total of 36 yourself. So That's not too bad for my first try. No, not at all. And like I said, you know, I think the, the week one definitely set you back. You know, week yeah. one definitely yeah. set you back. And then week two, you know, you kind of was 50-50. But then from there on, from week three on, you know, you progressively got better and better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a fun thing to do. And um, I also look, our, um, we actually had a tie between our, um, so we actually, I went back, look, we only had, ended up having um, two guests um, do actually do picks pick. with us. Yeah, okay. and it just so happened that those two tied with us. So um, our guest from week one, Chris Laura, he had a record of five and five the first week. And then um, week six we had no i'm sorry week seven we had um Sanyika, um on and he also went five and five so we're okay. gonna have to figure out a way to do a um a, a tiebreaker i might have to facetime them and do some virtual rock paper scissors or something for a winner okay. you know make that a priority so i can get them their their participation gift before christmas <laughs> got you got you yes yeah. so i'm gonna have to facetime them and do a little rock paper scissors virtually and whatnot so but gross. no it was it was a fun thing to do um you know, maybe next maybe next season for football, we can up the ante a little bit, make it a little bit uh, more interesting, make the prize a little bit more um, uh, intriguing and whatnot. But no, I, I think it was fun that we did that, Dr. Pitts. Um, you know, always like, you know, I, I like my hand, you know, come tournament time, you know, this is good warm up to, you know, March Madness and everything, you know, see how my picks were going to be and whatnot. But um, so, you know, Dr. Pitts said, you know, she's not a sore sport. She's not a sore loser. Which, I'm you know, going to wear my husband's Brian Dawkins jersey next week. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to put his Eagles cap on because it's going to mess up my head. I know your husband got to have a Jalen Hurts jersey. No, he don't. He don't have a... Um, nope, he has... He's... Um, I bought him a bunch of them. He had no... All of the jerseys that he has are from the the older... The um, older days. Yeah, the older days. Ah, Okay. 
I wish I'd have known. I wish I'd have known that week one. I would have had to get a Jalen Hurts jersey for promo. Don't tell. Look, he's listening. All right. He might. It all depends. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Dr. Piss will be, um, you know, I think also you should get uh, Eagles. I think you should Eagles cups. You want me to put always... his scarf and you want me to do the whole thing? Because he got it all. You you want me to just I mean, come all Eagles garbed up? And you know what I'm going to do it, Ronnie, in the spirit of fun? Because to me, you're going to appreciate this. To me, it's going to be the malakia malakia that I put on them so that they lose on Christmas Eve here in Dallas. You won't even honestly. You probably won't. You probably won't even have to try that hard because the one thing we know about the Eagles, you know, they are not. They are not good front runners. Oh, Underdogs, yes. Front runners, not so much. So give them credit. Play. They're playing really, 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 really well. He they're did really, say that they're fair fans. They are. They are. My husband's been a diehard Eagles fan from freaking birth. So, which is interesting, considering the fact that his dad was a Redskins fan. <laughs> so that's some crazies. But he's no, we, he loves his Eagles. He loves he's and he's texting me talking about come on Ronnie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. <laughs> but it is it, it is crazy. It is crazy though that the that yeah. if how the season plays out, the entire NFC East might be in the playoffs while we're you know over here laughing and joking and like look for the first time since what they say since 1970. It's banana yeah. and the Giants, folks sleeping on the Giants. I know this. I don't we're gonna have to see them again. We're gonna have to I see don't, them I don't I don't believe in the Giants at all. No. Honestly, you know what's crazy? I believe in the commanders. Give nobody no love, Justin. You don't get no love. I believe I believe because the only thing that's the only thing that scares me about the Giants is their quarterback. I don't trust Daniel Jones at all. Like he has not shown me that he can be consistent enough you to think get he's them. another Eli. <laughs> hey, hey, Eli got two Super Bowls. Hey. He got two of them. Now, you know, he got two of them. So, yeah. but that's my only concern is Daniel Jones. I don't trust him. I don't think he yeah. will be able to make the right decisions when it matters yeah. the most, especially now, mm-hmm. you know, I think they only got what, six, seven games left. These mm-hmm. games matter now. They still got, you know, they got y'all one more time. I think they mm-hmm. have the Eagles twice. And I think they got yeah. the Commanders one more time. So their yeah. remaining schedule is no walk in the park whatsoever. Yeah. So well, no, they're done with us. If they see us again, it's going to be in the playoffs because we played them in the beginning of the season oh, and we had them on twice. Thanksgiving. So they've lost to us twice. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, they yeah. still got to see the Eagles twice. Yeah, yeah, and I think they, they have the Commanders the one more twice, time too. And they don't have a good record with them. And you know what? Even though even though the Commanders' quarterback isn't much better than Daniel Jones, the Commanders' defense he is doing all right compared to freaking Wentz. He is. They're, and their defense is legit. Like the commander's yeah. defense. Oh, yeah, is they're doing legit. they're showing off a little bit. Don't let nobody tell you. And and they got a yeah. and they got a hell of a receiver in uh Terry yeah. McLaurin. Yeah, hell we gotta play them. We're there the, the Cowboys played them last game of the season at FedEx. So it's like, oh that's oh. that's not gonna that's not gonna be an easy game. <laughs> that will not be and that might and that might determine the wild card the whole time. Yeah. Justice, do determine. you have a team coming from New York? Or you done converted to LA? I am not a football girl. No way, just these. Why she hit us us with an out-the-door confession? (laughs) (laughs) So I give a very chill perspective. Okay, okay. We'll take that. Are you you on a basketball team? I'm a Lakers girl through and through. Got my my eight Kobe jersey. Yeah. There we go. Okay. There we go. Woman yeah. after my my son's heart. He loves his Lakers. Love his Lakers. Yeah. Okay. So 
That's what's up. Well, Justice, let the people know how they can get in contact with you. Yes. Um, how would they be? I mean, I guess you on social media. I am not on social media. I mean, okay. on uh, I'm in my e my school email. I am on LinkedIn. All right, bet. So, but I am on LinkedIn, Justice yeah. Stafford. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, we're definitely gonna have to have you back on here once you finish your uh, doctor program and everything, and you become Doctor Stafford. We definitely gonna have to have you back on. Here. Be on here before that. You know, I was about to say we we got oh, next yeah. year. We got a lot of episodes next year. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So we love, we appreciate you being on today. Thank you for sharing your um your insight and your wisdom with us. Um, I hope Thanks both of you all me. continue to have a great weekend, and our listeners out there have a beautiful weekend. It's a lot of great football games on today right now. I'm over here. Got text uh, TCU and Kansas State on my phone right now. Yes. So, I, hey, look, I'm telling you, before this weekend is over, Alabama will be in the top four. I don't okay. know how, but they'll be in there. Roll Tide. And they're gonna figure it out. Okay. They're gonna figure it out. They're gonna oh, figure see, it out. There's that hope. There's that hope right there. See, it's not distorted thinking. I'm it's a hope. hey, hey. I'm a hope dealer by trade, so you know. Okay. Crazy. I'm a, I'm a hope dealer. So look, y'all, thank y'all for joining in and tuning in. Until next week, y'all have a great weekend and we'll see y'all later. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.